0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. We've looked at... uh nine different biblical characters, four women and five men, Um, and today we're going to look at number 10, and the character is a woman named Sarah. And you can see our artwork, Uh, this was Jake Ludolph that did all of the illustrations for us this summer, and so we're really thankful for Jake and his talents. It's really fun to see these different characters graphically represented, so next time you see Jake make sure you thank him. But as we wrap up this series on supernatural courage today with the story of Sarah. Uh, What's striking about Sarah and her husband Abraham is that when God went looking for a family to use as the means to redeem the world, to reverse the curse, he didn't go looking for the best candidates, the strongest, the most qualified candidates, but instead he used an old man and his barren wife. And the reason he did that is so that he could display his surpassing power and our utter dependence. Sarah's story is not, look at how great Sarah is, but instead, look at how great Sarah's God Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's look at Sarah's story. Before Sarah comes along back in Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, rebelled against God, because of their sin, God placed them under a curse, and part of that curse was not only for them, but for the serpent, Satan, who had deceived Adam and Eve. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, when God is cursing the snake, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So because of the serpent's deceit, Satan and humanity are going to be at war with one another. And God says, I'm going to send an offspring of the woman, I'm going to send a human baby to crush you, to reverse the curse. So there's this expectation of a child who is going to be born. And not only do Adam and Eve... uh, Because of their sin, not only do they come under the curse, but they're driven out of the garden. So just a few verses later, in uh, 23 and 24, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him, Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, out out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Because of their sin, God cast them out of his presence. And so when we get to Abraham and Sarah and their story, they are living uh, under a curse. They are without a land. They're living outside the garden. Abraham was a nomad, traveled around, lived in a tent. So they're under a curse. They're living outside the land. And we see in chapter 11 that they're childless. They have no children. Look at chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. This is when we're introduced to Sarah and Abram. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So under, under a curse, outside the land, and without children. And the problem here isn't uh, Abram and Sarah I have been married for a few years and Sarah just hasn't had a baby yet. No, this is, uh, Abram is 75 years old and his wife is 65 years old. Sarah's barrenness, you see it mentioned twice, she's barren, she has no children. You, know, you mention it twice just to emphasize it. Sarah's barrenness is a settled reality. This has been going on for decades. And into that situation, into that context, God speaks. God picks Abram and his wife, Sarai. Look at chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, "'Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house "'to the land that I will show you, "'and I will make of you a great nation.'" And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's sons. And, the, and off they went. And then in verse 7, God says to Abram, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. God picks Abram and Sarai and says, I'm going to reverse the curse. So they're under a curse without the land and without children. And God says, I will bless you. I will take you into a land that I will show you. And I will give that land into your offspring who I will make into a great nation. How is God going to do this? How can God possibly bless Abram and make him into a great nation if he and his wife can't even have one baby? God intentionally chooses these unlikely candidates. In choosing Abram and Sarai, God has created a problem for himself. There is a clear tension in the story There's an obstacle that is going to have to be overcome, an unresolved question that is going to have to be answered. How are you going to do this, God? Don't you realize that Sarai is barren? Uh, Last week, we had our church picnic, and some of us stuck around after the picnic for a softball game, so we have a picture there. Uh, this was the softball game was Team Pastor Josh versus Team Pastor Johnny. Uh, so Johnny and I were the team captains, and we had a lot of fun picking uh, Team Josh 1, of course. Uh, but a couple things I want to say about the game. One, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we had a blast playing together. Two, it was really sweaty. So you can see some, some shirts that are a little discolored. And then three, as soon as I got home, I took ibuprofen. Uh, I haven't played softball in a little while, and I was really sore. But it was, it was a lot of fun. We just really enjoyed playing together, and we're already talking about next year, and we hope to see some, some ladies in the picture next year. Uh, but we had a lot of fun playing, and Johnny and I had a lot of fun being team captains. If there were a team Jesus, none of us would be picked because of our ability or how much we deserve it. God doesn't God doesn't look around and say who's the most competent who's the most able to follow me The answer is nobody You and I spiritually are all barren apart from God's transforming grace in Christ God is not lucky to have you in his kingdom He's not looking around saying, boy, that person sure would be great. I hope they pick me. No. You are not a Christian because of what you bring to the table. There is no room for pride in God's kingdom. But then on the other hand, I don't want anyone this morning to feel like me and my family, we could never belong. We could never come to this church or we could never come into God's kingdom. We just don't deserve it. We're not good enough. There is no obstacle that Christ can't overcome in saving you. There is no level of brokenness or dysfunction or failure that cannot be redeemed by Christ. What the world looks at and says, that's damaged goods. I don't want anything to do with that. God looks at and says, I can redeem that. I can work with that. I can make that family new. I can make that person new. Their story doesn't have to be over. I can do something. Uh, Years ago, I remember hearing uh, a preacher on the radio. And this preacher was sharing that uh, as a child, he had a lot of childhood illnesses, and even into his adult life, he was chronically ill, in and out of hospitals all the time, and because of all of these chronic illnesses, he was physically really weak. And I remember him saying, do you realize how incredible it is that God chose you? God, he said, no one ever chose me for anything in my entire life. I was the kid on the playground that was picked last for the game. And God chose me. That's us. We have to realize there's no reason that God would choose you other than his transforming grace, his covenant-redeeming love in your life. That's what we see in Sarah's story. Barren old woman I'm going to start the new family of God through you. So let's go back to Sarah's story. God has made a promise to Abram and Sarah. And now the question is, how will he fulfill that promise? Remarkably, God waits. God does nothing for a season. We, we could have expected that God would have granted Abram and Sarah a child quickly, Um, that shortly after making the promise, Sarah would have conceived, Um, while there would have been a a reasonable expectation that she still could conceive. So remember, this is early in the Old Testament. People lived a lot longer then. Um, So we could have expected that. Um, And that happens elsewhere in scripture with pregnancies. Uh, A few weeks ago, Pastor Doug shared the story of Hannah. So Hannah was barren, wasn't able to conceive, and Pretty quickly, God gave her Samuel. Uh, We're going to see that with this family later. Uh, Isaac, his wife Rebecca, isn't able to conceive. And so Isaac prays and Rebecca has Jacob and Esau. And then we see it with Rachel and Leah. So we could have expected that, but instead, God does nothing. Years go by and no child comes. And Sarai continues to get older and older. And finally, after 10 years, Sarai grows impatient, and she seeks to take matters into her own hands. Look at chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, "'Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. "'Go into my servant. "'It may be that I shall obtain children by her.'" And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, "May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me." So Sarai and Abram are, are growing impatient. Sarai says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's right to to ascribe that power to the Lord. She recognizes that God's in control, but she's losing her trust that God's going to fulfill his promise. And so she says, perhaps if I give my servant to, to Abram, I can gain an heir that way. I can gain a child through my servant. And essentially they're saying to God, God, your plan A didn't work, so let's try our plan B. They're attempting to bail God out of the problem that they believe that he has put himself in. And Hagar conceives and then rubs Sarai's nose in it, essentially saying, hey, Sarai, I'm the, I'm the woman your, man, your husband really needed. You are the problem here. And so Sarai's plan backfires, Instead of being satisfied, she feels more uh, marginalized and more of a failure than ever, and she gets angry and bitter. And then she's essentially pushed to the margin. When we try to grab the steering wheel from God, it doesn't go well. Instead of trusting the Lord with your finances and giving a portion to the church, you keep saying, we'll start giving in a few months when we're financially in a better spot. Instead of prayerfully waiting for the Lord to work in your spouse's heart, you nag them or badger them or pester them. Instead of resting on your day off, trusting that the Lord will continue to sustain your life, you work and you don't get the rest that you need. Instead of exercising patience and grace with your kids, acknowledging that the Lord is the one who is able to shape and grow them, you continually erupt when they disobey. It doesn't look like it's going according to plan, and so you take matters into your own hands. These are all sins that I've been guilty of, by the way. God calls us to live by faith. And that means that we follow him in obedience even when doing so feels like it's not working. He will fulfill his promises to us. We are not called to work on our own strength. We're called to rest, to trust him to fulfill his promises. When we don't do that, trouble is close at hand. And Sarah, I saw that. And so what does God do after Abram and Sarai's attempt to fix things? He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't start over with another family. But he does wait again. He waits for another 14 years. At this point, the promise that God made to Abram and Sarai is 24 years old. Abram is now 99, and his wife is 89. And then God speaks. Look at Genesis 17 and 18. In in 17, he speaks first to Abram. He changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, from exalted father to father of many nations. And then he speaks to Abraham, verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Changes Sarah, Sarai's name from Sarai to Sarah. Sarai means my princess. Sarah means a princess. And this play on words, what God is saying is, no longer will just one or two people claim Sarah as, as their own, my princess, but an entire nation of people will claim Sarah. Many people will call Sarah a princess. And so you change her name. God's reiterating, reconfirming this promise to them. The time has come, Abraham and Sarah. And verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, "Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then jump down to chapter 18, we see Sarah's reaction. Abraham and Sarah both laugh. God, surely this isn't going to happen anymore. Sarah looks at the situation and she says, Physiologically, it is impossible that I would have children. That ship sailed years ago for Sarah. Look at God's response. Back up to chapter 17, verse 18. Well, first of all, here's Abraham's second response. He says, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So Abraham says, God, we took care of this 15 years ago. You don't have to send a child through Sarah, even though that can't happen. We already have a son. Don't you know that we already fixed this problem? Can't you just go along with our plan? Verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife... Shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Abraham, I told you, through Sarah, I will give you a son. I have made a covenant promise to you, and I'm going to keep that covenant promise through Sarah, like I originally said that I would. We're not going to go with your plan, we are going to go with my plan. God will not share his glory with Abraham and Sarah. He will not give partial credit to Abraham and Sarah for their efforts. He will fulfill his promise in the way he said he would fulfill it and on his terms and his timeline. In waiting until Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90, God is removing any doubt about who's in control. Any doubt about who's powerful. Any doubt about who is the most important person in this equation. God is making it clear that nobody's going to say, Abraham and Sarah did this, but everyone will say, the Lord has done this. This birth is a miracle. And so a year later, as God said, Sarah conceives and gives birth to a boy. And the questions and the doubt and the angst goes away. Look at chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, bore him Isaac. Then in verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Isaac means he laughs. Abraham and Sarah have laughed at the idea of God fulfilling His promise, and God has gently, graciously had the last laugh. He, we have laughed at the idea of God doing this, and now He is having the last laugh. He has filled our hearts with joyful laughter. In Hebrews eleven. Sarah is held up as an example of godly faith. And honestly, I struggled with that this week. I thought, how can we look at Sarah as an example of faith? Wasn't she more of an example of doubt? Look at, verse, look at Hebrews 11.11. 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That's the point. Sarah's story is not remarkable because of how impressive she is or how strong her faith was. Sarah's story is remarkable because of how strong her God is and how faithful he is to fulfill his covenant love to us. What's Sarah's message? My God fulfills his promises. My God is able to to do what he says he will do. That's the story that is worth remembering. God always works this way. What God did in Sarah's life, he does in all of our lives. He uses our weakness to highlight his power. 2 Corinthians 4 really helps us understand this. Uh, So 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power of God, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God picked Sarah not because of how good she was, how capable she was, but because she was a jar of clay. Brittle, fragile, easily broken to show that he's the powerful one. And God does the same for us. So God has put his light into us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The gospel is this bright light. God doesn't put that bright light into these shiny, strong, beautiful pots where it gets bottled up. God puts that gospel light into broken pots. And in those cracks and holes, what happens? The light shines out. So you look at these jars of clay and you're not impressed with the jars of clay. You're impressed with the light inside of them. You look at Sarah's life and you're not impressed with Sarah. You're impressed with Sarah's God. And so God means for you to be that. God means for people to look at you And not say, wow, she's so brave, he's so wise, she's so capable. But instead, to look at you and say, look at how good their God is. Look at how faithful their King is. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer must be no, because look at their life. Your weakness and your brokenness is not a bug in the system. It's how the system was designed. God intentionally works in our weakness to show his glory. Let's pray. Father, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses, but you have made us alive in Christ. Through Sarah, you brought a child who would be the heir of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we would trust you. We would trust that you will fulfill your promises to us, that our weakness won't stop you, but rather your power will be displayed in our weakness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.